Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, October 30th, which I'm, I'm guessing, Dan, that's the eve before... All Hallows Eve. Well, anyway, you still have at least one small boy in your house, so yes. well, Halloween's got to be a big thing at your place. So, you know, oh yes, um, we uh, we celebrate Halloween. Uh, oh my goodness, probably we put up fall stuff in the middle of September, and then once it's October first, out come the pumpkins and the skeletons mm-hmm. and the all that great stuff. And my son loves mm-hmm. Halloween. In fact, tonight we went to something at our school. Mm-hmm. called the Boobash, where all of the kids of the teachers and the kids in the neighborhood go to the high school mm-hmm. and all the classroom doors are, are decorated and all the high school kids give out candy to the little kids. And it's a blast. Oh, very cool. If, if you don't mind me asking, what, what is your son going as this year? Well, imagine this. He is going mm-hmm. as a Sith trooper. Uh, well, <laughs> Okay, that's brand brand new, obviously, to The Rise of Skywalker. We found the costume on Amazon on Triple Force Friday, and Mm -hmm. he was the only one that I saw wearing a uh, Sith Trooper costume, but he raised a lot of um, eyebrows and attention, and then we found a red Sith Trooper Nerf Blaster on Amazon as well. Gosh, too bad Amazon isn't sponsoring this podcast. And (laughs) uh, so it's cool. It looks really, really sharp. Oh, that is cool. All right, please send along pictures. I'd love to see that. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, and speaking of trick or treating, uh, I, I guess we we need to talk about those two Star Wars related trailers that debuted since you and I recorded our last looking at Lucasfilm. Um, there was the final trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, which debuted on ABC on Monday, October twenty first, during a, a presentation of Monday Night Football. Kind of a lousy game, I, you know, that, that it was between the Patriots and the Jets with the final score being, what, 33-0, to zero, the Patriots basically crushing the Jets. and Yes, they're crushing um, everybody this year. They always do, but they're especially this year. Yeah. And then the second trailer for The Mandalorian uh, debuted exactly one week later on Monday the 28th. So um, I, I got to ask, Dan, what did you think? I thought the Rise of Skywalker trailer, uh, actually, I got interviewed for Good Morning America's website, which is pretty cool That's for true. that. You did. Yeah. But I thought it was I thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was mm-hmm. a visually stunning. Mm-hmm. I thought there were some nice little cues. The music was wonderful. And it captured that spirit of Star Wars. But in a in a surprise, at mm-hmm. least to me, I didn't really know what was going on. In the movie, which I did not expect, because the the final trailer for the Rise of or for the Last Jedi and the Force Awakens were definitely a little more concrete in what mm-hmm. the plot might be about, especially the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And this didn't have that at all. And at first, I was minorly disappointed because I thought, well, if I'm going to watch this trailer, I want to know something. Give give me something. Mm-hmm. But then when it was over, I thought, wow, JJ really did it. He had the guts to not reveal anything in this. And I was very happy with that. I thought, okay, I've waited this long. I'll wait a little bit more. I love that. I knew nothing. It it really kind of played more as a teaser trailer than an actual final trailer. 
I mean, and, not, not too many movies can do that, but they have got mm-hmm. 41 years of history where they can just jump in and, and give you a trailer that tells you nothing. I, I thought it was really brave. Okay. Well, I, I have to admit, I, I liked individual moments of the, the trailer. I mean, for example, uh, that, that little vignette in there with C-3PO and the whole, I'm taking one last look at my friends. I mean, I, I, I loved how that landed. And I mean, there, there was some, some beautiful imagery. There was stuff you could hang on the wall. The, yes. uh, you know, all the TIE fighters zooming in on what, you know, the ice planet. And, but then there were the moments like, I'm watching people on horseback ride down the deck of a Star Destroyer. I, yes. You know, um, but I guess <laughs> the whole notion of throwing an image in there like that is like, well, you got to come to the movie to, to sort that one out, pal. Um, you know, I, 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 and I think you, you, you nailed it. It really, in a weird sort of way, was so much more, you know, had the kind of the feel and the use of imagery that a teaser does rather than, you know, what we've kind of come to respect, you know, expect from the, um, get the final trailer for a film. Though, so, uh, you know, let's be honest in the last 10, 15 years, there's been a lot of people who complained about the fact that, you go to, you know, you see a trailer for a movie and it's like, well, why do I now need to see the movie? Because I know everything. You put every, you know, big moment in the trailer and, you know, there's no need for me to go to see the movie. Exactly. Which is, I think, why I was A, shocked and, and B, pleasantly surprised that they did that because they've got a lot of writing on this movie, as you know very well. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't give us anything. I mean, that's a very J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams thing to be honest I mean I think we know that mm-hmm. and and like I said at first I was a little disappointed that I didn't get more but let's look at the last Jedi trailer really quickly for a second it mm-hmm. has a pivotal scene in the trailer where they show Kylo Ren about to blast the Raddus where Leia is on board mm-hmm. and then you think oh my gosh is he going to try to kill his mother mm-hmm. now that doesn't happen but that was a powerful bit of narrative that the suspense of that was taken away when I saw the movie for the first time and so I was not crazy about that. And so I am very glad that I didn't get anything spoiled for me here. Well, now to pivot to, you know, the, the, the trailer for the Mandalorian. Uh, and again, we're only two weeks out uh, at this point. In, in fact, uh, what is it? Uh, Tuesday, November 12th is when Disney plus goes live. And, you know, we all call get our first glimpse at that. And I have to admit, I, you know, you know, from a, I don't know these characters. I don't know this world. This trailer did so much better a job, at least for me. I'm one of those, you know, again, forgive me, but I'm one of those guys who likes to have the hay down where the goats can get at it. You know, just the whole <laughs> notion, lay out the world, lay out the character, give me a sense of the stakes. And this trailer for that John Favreau live action Star Wars TV series, I thought really delivered the goods. I thought it was was very cool, and I actually watched the uh, the trailer before it back to back again just to refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. And this one, it didn't really pivot me either direction. I mean, this mm-hmm. one talk about not having anything to do with the plot. Mm-hmm. We still we don't know much about the plot of this series, and we know the basic premise naturally. You know everything that fits into a paragraph, mm-hmm. but this was just some cool visuals. We finally got to hear Pedro Pascal speak. Mm-hmm. which I thought was cool and, you yep. know, the great music. But 
it didn't make me want to see it more or less. I, I mean, I already wanted to see it anyway. So I just thought it was kind of like a little bit of a filler to just to get us to uh, mm-hmm. when Disney Plus airs. But it didn't get me more excited. Not, mm-hmm. not really. But I'm glad it did you. Say again? I said, but I'm glad it got you more excited for it. But it didn't really do that for me. Well, okay, you know, the, the, but, but you know, at the same time, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, for example, what's going on over Tandango, you know, or whatever reservations I may have about the rise of Resistance, you know, the final trailer there, or excuse me, the rise of Skywalker. I keep doing that. Uh, you know, the rise of Skywalker trailer. Um, I, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really matter that that J.J. Abrams film has sold more advanced tickets than any other Star Wars film to date, and and that includes The Force Awakens from back in December 2015, which was kind of you know the the the, the rule breaker there. How's um, it go doing compared to Endgame? Now I know there's a lot of talk the first 24 hours about how it did compared to Endgame, but what about now? Well, you know, it, you know, the interesting thing is that. You know, Fandango, in fact, I, I, I was going to there earlier tonight to get the update, and they're not including today's numbers till tomorrow. But um, they were stressing, for example, that the trailer on YouTube has been downloaded 24 million. Actually, at this point, it's 30 million. When I last looked, it was 24.9, or excuse me, or 25 million. Uh, and on the other hand, if the Mandalorian, uh, it's only been downloaded the trailer on YouTube, uh, 6.5 million, but again, it's only been up for 48 hours. So, you know, you, you kind of have to grade in a curve. Um, plus but, the Mandalorian's largely unknown. I mean, this is the final movie in, in the Star Wars saga. No, no, no. You know, that's, as far as Skywalker's going, I think that's a big part of it. Plus, well, Monday Night Football, I mean, even the worst two teams in the National mm. Football League get higher ratings than the most successful shows on TV, period. Mm-hmm. So you're going to put on Monday Night Football, you're going to get a massive audience. So the downloads on YouTube, obviously, they don't even take into consideration how many people watched it on Monday Night Football. Do we have numbers for that, by chance? That we don't, but uh, I, I bet it, I bet there's quite a bit. I know. I think, well, you know, again, that's... Face it, you know, in our, you know, you know, people watch, you know, on their flat screens, they watch on their phones, they watch on their tablets. It's it's kind of a different animal ratings wise, keeping tabs on how many eyeballs and that sort of thing. But uh, but no, that Disney seemed very pleased with the attention it got the next day and, you know, all the media coverage. On the other hand, um, they can't have been happy with kind of what happened on the heels of the news that. Uh, David Benoff and D.B. Weiss uh, were stepping away from doing the uh, Star Wars trilogy that that's actually supposed to have followed, uh, you know, the rise of Skywalker. Uh, in fact, what did they, they had a already locked in December 16th, 2022 release date. Um, what's your take on this news, Dan? When I heard it, I mean, there are all kinds of emotions. Uh, one mm. of the key things I thought in the article said that Kathleen Kennedy said, you know, the doors in essence open for them whenever mm. they want to come back mm-hmm. and, uh, and try this again. So it's not like it was a, a done deal and, and, you know, see you later, mm-hmm. but it didn't really concern me. I mean, I'm not a massive game of Thrones fan. I watched the first season. It was mm-hmm. fine. It was definitely um, a, a wheelhouse that is not something that I'm, that I 
play in that sandbox per se, but mm-hmm. I certainly understand it and appreciate it. And I did love the Sunday and Monday conversations on Twitter between people who are insanely passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interestingly enough, I'm seeing a lot of those folks are seem to be happy that this happened because they think that uh, the D and D as they're calling them, which I think is funny because the Dungeons and Dragons thing mm-hmm. uh, that they messed up the last season of Game of Thrones and they're happy that they're not going to de- deal in the Star Wars universe. So, and I'm sure people will point to this as something of, oh gosh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I don't know. I, I think getting ahead of something like this is fine. And let's be honest, mm-hmm. raise your hand if you would turn down a nine figure uh, deal with Netflix mm-hmm. to do something else. I mean, are you kidding? It is a little surprising that they would sign that after Star Wars, but I guess it's not. If I if I rewind ten seconds and listen to what I just said, is it a nine figure deal? Yeah, uh, depending on who you talk to, it's two hundred million or three hundred million for five years at Netflix, with the idea that they produce exclusively uh, film and television series for those folks. So, I mean, you know, who who in the, who in the world would turn that down? I mean, I you know, I mean, I don't know what Lucasfilm was going to pay them in Disney. I'm mm-hmm. sure it was it was great, but not that much money. I mean, you know, I I think I really think this is a a money situation. And how are they possibly going to get a chance to get to that money if they're going to spend, you know, six or seven years of their lives on a Star Wars trilogy? Which, by the way, I always thought it was a duology. When did mm-hmm. it morph into a trilogy? Well, um, am, I, am I remembering that incorrectly? No, that that's I. Uh, the the interesting thing is if you go back to February of 2018 when they they signed the original deal, uh, it was described as the follow up to well I, again the way that it was framed was the fact it was going to be the first post uh, Skywalker saga films and that the the bullet point uh, description was that it was going to be set a thousand years before the Skywalker saga and was going to talk about the origins of the Jedi. But, but you're right. You know, they hadn't necessarily pinned themselves down, whether it was going to be two films, three films, or, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, what was it? A hitchhiker's guide, Douglas Adams, the, the, you know, the, the, the fourth installment of the Hitchhiker's Trilogy. You know, just that, you know, sometimes, you know, stories get away from you. Um, I, and, uh, you know, and again, I, I think, you know, what is it? Uh, Occam's Razor, what, the, the, the simplest explanation is, is often, you know, the, the, the easiest one. Um, the interesting thing, there's a, there's a lot of theories uh, out there from entertainment insiders. I mean, you mentioned... You know, the whole notion of there was a whole lot of noise in May after the last, the sixth episode of uh, season eight of uh, Game of Thrones aired. And uh, even <laughs> even George R.R. R. Martin kind of weighed in about, uh, you know, to the effect of there had been kind of a deviation between where he was going to go with the story and where, you know, uh, David and D.B. went. Um, and I, you know, again, Kathleen is a, a very savvy player. You know, she's, she's really good at reading tea leaves. You know, um, you looked in, you and I both were at, uh, the Star Wars celebration in Anaheim back in 2015. And you must have been in the convention center for that, that 
they remember it was going to be a panel where they talked about the two uh, Star Wars anthology films, and yes, you know they they showed us Rogue One, and and then they threw very away very casually as as part of the remarks that oh by the way Josh Trank was going to be here but he couldn't make it today, and uh, that was the gentleman who was supposed to be directing the the second. Uh, of the anthology films, and um, I do know, remember that it, it was I th- it was just kind of like you were aware of it. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, and, and yeah, it, it was only later when like, I want to say May uh, when Josh announced that for personal reasons he was you know passing up this opportunity, and you know that there had been you know lots of talk at that point that perhaps what had been going on with uh, the Fantastic Four reboot that he was directing for Fox, that maybe that kind of, uh, you know, weighed in on what Kathleen decided to do here. Um, but let's face it, when Disney paid $4 billion for, for Lucasfilm, by the way, Dan, that was seven years ago today? I know. Um, Can you believe that? It popped up on my phone this morning, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, it's really been that long. Yeah, and I, you know, and, and honestly, you know, the weird thing is, it seems like it was five minutes ago, and then you take a step back and like, look at all the new Star Wars stuff that we've gotten in that period. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it, you know, and it, it, you know, with sort of the cherry on the Sunday being uh, the two galaxies' edges that you know, the the one in Anaheim and the one in Orlando, right? Um, but you know, at the same time. Oh, we do have to acknowledge that, you know, at least the Anaheim version uh, had a kind of an unexpected summer thing. Crowds didn't quite come out the way they wanted to uh, or Disney wanted them to. And, you know, the year previous, we'd had Solo, which I still think is a good movie. I love uh, it. You know, misfired at the box office. And I think that that made the folks at Disney kind of you know, look over their shoulders. So I, I can't help but think coming off of sort of the bad fan reaction to season eight of game of thrones um you know and maybe that did factor into kathleen so i i hope it could be but i hope not i hope that someone that powerful in hollywood wouldn't be swayed by public opinion i mean uh, to that degree because i still think it's allowed minority of Mm -hmm. people i I mean it, it, it won those emmys and you know, the ratings were insane and, and people were talking oh, God, about, it, you know, bad press mm-hmm. is better than none. I rather real quick. Did, did you see Lawrence Kazan come out and say that, uh, well, that he likes solo and then the studio screwed it up. That was an, no. an interview he did two days ago. He, or at least it was posted two days ago. He said that it was the studios that screwed that one up. He was yeah. just very candid and about it. No, he, didn't, he didn't go into any detail. Wasn't this also the um, the interview where he basically said that he's done for now with Star Wars? That's exactly but, right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which I get. You know. Um, you know. Uh, you know. I look. You know that that's when I look at you know what Lawrence Kasdan you know has done. You know, take me wrong. You know. Uh, you know, wonderful work in this. You know, picking up the. You know, uh, the script for Empire and finishing that. Likewise, his work for Raiders, but. You know, again, this is also the same guy who did, you know, the big chill, you know, uh, and actually a, 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 a wonderful Blair Brown, John Belushi movie. Ever seen Continental Divide? 
Um, no, I haven't, but I, I remember very much when it came out. It's it's very much a modern or well <laughs> modern uh, 19, <laughs> late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties attempt at a Catherine Hepper and Spencer Tracy movie. And uh, you know, it, again, you know, the weird thing is, I I, as I recall, Kazdan wrote it for oh, God Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford as a follow up to uh, the way we were and, and the way Hollywood works. It eventually ends up with, you know, John Belushi and Blair Brown, but it's still a wonderful film. And he's, he's, he's a, he's a great writer and, you know, that, uh, oh, you know, one of, the fa- one of my all time favorites, you know, Kazan and Shakespeare. There you go. Well, and, and saying as we're talking about, you know, great British authors, I could, do we have to also, if we're talking about Kathleen Kennedy, Acknowledge uh, the honors she received earlier this month, where the uh, the British film industry uh, arranged for her to be made an honorary commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Um, did you get to see any of the, the photographs from the ceremony? In, in, I did. I, I thought that was I thought that was really a, a charming affair. I, I wish mm-hmm. that they would have invited us. I would have certainly gone. Oh God, yeah. Well, it did. I don't want tales for that. I, just for the cannon base, I, you know, but, but for me, what was great was, and more to the point, it, you know, again, you know, that I know that there's, you know, that there's certain folks in fandom who, you know, just have it in for Kathleen. But when you look at who turned out for this, who came to be part of this moment, which was, was held at the home of British diplomat, Michael House, you had, I mean, for example, you were just talking about it, screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, but here's also, you know, com, you know, Academy Award winner uh, John Williams. You know, uh, we also have Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, uh, the studio head there, Alan Horn, and even Kevin Feige turns out. Um, and, you know, what tickled Kathleen, especially about getting this award, is one of the only other people who's been honored this way was Sir Alec Guinness. And, you know, she just kind of loved the fact that here she is sort of, you know, you know sort of tending the house, so to speak, that Alec helped set up. And, you know, that, that here the Brits thought enough of all of the film work that she's brought over to the UK, you know, whether it's at Hill Street or Pinewood or that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, they just want to acknowledge what they thought was her contribution to the business. But, um, I, anything leap out at you from, uh, you know, from the photos is that sort of thing or no, not really. I just, I just think it's, it's nice. I mean, I, I met her once. She was mm-hmm. extremely nice. We chatted for a little bit about, I said, I like that she has ambiguity in star Wars. Now that it allows us to do some of the heavy lifting on our, you know, on our own. And, and I think that's a cool thing. And it, it makes us use critical thinking. And she, I think she and, and the, the folks who are there are people that I very much respect, uh, who are very talented filmmakers and, and great thinkers. And I think it's great. I think she deserves it. I, I've never um, been one to comprehend a criticism of her is, from a pejorative perspective, because I think mm-hmm. that she's done a lot of wonderful things for star Wars and Lucasfilm and for fans, and she's a fan herself, and I think she deserve. I think she deserves this. I love it. Okay, well, very cool. Now uh, we just spoke of Kevin Feige, by the way. Uh, when Dan and I get back from our, our upcoming break here, we're going to talk about the very first time that the worlds of Marvel and Lucas collided, and that was with the August 1986 release of Howard the Duck. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And we're back. Um, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the show, Dan and I are recording this podcast just before Halloween 2019, uh, which is when people get to sample some pretty weird, tasty treats, um, which made me think of what just happened last week at Galaxy's Edge. Did you hear about this where they did the, um, the three-day test for the menus at, I want to say, Ronto's Roasters and... Docking Bay 7, uh, they have those very Star Wars-centric names for the food that serves these quick-service restaurants. And uh, and again, just for a short period of time, uh, they they changed them out to, you know, sort of more user-friendly names, as in, you know, it, it's a chicken sandwich. That's what you're right. Okay. I didn't know it was a three-day test. I thought that was permanent, and I, and I very much lamented the fact that they were going to go away from the theming before the entire park was completely done, mm-hmm. uh, because I think you should give it a, an actual chance to thrive when every all the components are there and everything is firing on all cylinders. So I'm I was relieved to see that they've gone to sort of a hybrid because I, I want that theming there. I, I think that's mm-hmm. part of the charm. Well, what's kind of intriguing? I was talking with some folks who work at the park, and the way they explained it is they honestly believe that when Rise of the Resistance opens, and and that's what December fifth in Orlando and I want to say yeah. January 22nd out in Anaheim. Um, I, the belief is that, you know, they're going to get sort of a second chance to make a first impression here. And what they're noticing supposedly from the raw data that Disney has in hand, that these quick service restaurants aren't necessarily serving people all that quick, that they're, they're not doing the throughput that Disney had initially thought they would. And the belief is, or at least initially, they thought, okay, well, it's it's got to be the menus, you know, it's got to be the the names of the the food because people get to the top of the queue and kind of freeze for a second while they're they're reading and then you know announce what their order is. And um, so they made this test. They did this for three days, you know, with the the easier to read and pronounce names. And Dan, there was absolutely no difference, you know, that the, the same number of people came through the lines. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, the, the receipts for the days evidently were almost exactly the same. And so now Disney's faced with the, the, the awful option of like, oh no, what if it's the way 
these restaurants are set up? What if there's just too much eye candy or the queue set up in a poor way? That's what's slowing us down. I mean, you've been in the Anaheim version of both of these, uh, these quick service. Uh, right. Is there anything that, that leaped out at you or? Well, the last time I was there, there was someone in front of me looking at the menu and, and he seemed frustrated and he told his family, all right, we're, we're not doing this. And he left. And I, no. I can't legitimately say that I know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if his kids were, you know, fighting and they would just been a long day and they were just frustrated and, and that would happen mm-hmm. in any restaurant or was it because they weren't sure how to kind of disseminate the menu? But I mean, all you need to do is read it. It very clearly tells you below the Star Warsian candor that what is actually in it. Mm-hmm. So I, I like uh, I like the notion of, of being or a hybrid, as I said, of mm-hmm. you know, cadu uh, ribs, but then explain what kind of meat it is. I, I just think that's that's a more practical way. I mean, I to me the biggest risk at Galaxy's Edge has always been the fact that where the major shops are, they don't have signs. So for all you know, unless you happen to be walking by when the door opens or people are moving in and out, it's just a wall. Hmm. I always thought that was more of a risk. Okay, interesting point. Interesting point. Well, I'm I'm finally actually uh, later this month. In fact, inside of the next three weeks, going to get down. To Orlando and get into Galaxy's Edge, so we'll we'll have to compare notes at that point. Oh though. yeah, I can't wait to see what you think. Okay. Well, all right. Now, uh, you know, again, okay. So it's it's the day before Halloween tomorrow. Lots of people are going to be wandering around in Star Wars themed costumes, but I got to wonder how many how are the ducks are going to be out there? Um, <laughs> let's let's do the math. It looks like zero. <laughs> I can see that's the thing. I have a, I genuinely have a soft spot in my heart for this William Huck film. And then, Dan, you've seen some of this, right? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I think I was, when did it come out? What year? 1986. Right, 86. So, so I was about 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it when it was on HBO the first time in random parts. And it was that thing where in time where people of my generation, we heard the name George Lucas, but it didn't have lightsabers or a bullwhip. And we're like, ah, and you just, you know, you just don't give it your all because I don't know. I, I, I just was never there. I always thought it was amusing. I liked the look of the duck and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and who doesn't like, you know, when you're a kid, Oh, it's the, the girl from back to the future. But mm-hmm. you know, other than that, you know, I've, I've never <laughs> followed through to watch it again, which I know it's got a massive cult following. Well, Are you no, telling me I need the- to give it another chance? I mean, I, I I would definitely recommend that if only, for example, uh, you know, uh, the, Phil Tippett, uh, who, of course, is, you know, the master of go motion at, at Lucasfilm. There's, uh, what is it, the Dark Overlord monster character in this thing is honestly some of Phil's very best work. And this is, and, and you know about, uh, about go motion, how it's sort of, sort sure. of the next generation of stop motion where you, you, you move it uh, just a little bit as you're shooting the shot. So it gives that little motion blur, like a real living thing. Uh, so uh, it's got that. Uh, it's, um, and, 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 you know, but I, I, I can't help but, you know, think that 
the fact that you were 13 or 14, you're in your own home, it's on HBO, so you're getting it for free, and it still couldn't hold your attention? I mean, that, <laughs> that kind of speaks volumes about, about this movie. That you know, I mean, it, it's, it's got some great individual pieces, and in fact, I mean, if you do the 30,000-foot view on it, Dan, this was the first Marvel character to get his own feature film. It's, um, isn't that wild? I, it, it's kind of stunning to me that prior to that, I guess there had been a Captain America serial in the 1940s, but uh, and Howard gets introduced in 1973 in an issue of Adventure and Fear uh, with Man Thing, and he's he's a one uh, you know kind of a one panel joke character in the comic, but he catches on, and you know he he gets his own book starting in the mid 70s, and, and and again it's just it's kind of ironic. Uh, given where Disney and Marvel are right now, because this is when Disney sues Marvel because they think Howard is a ripoff of Donald. And they, they actually take, you know, Marvel comics, to court and force them to change Howard's, not only change Howard's look. So he looks less like Donald. They force them to put pants on Howard, you know, so he, you know, again, only Donald can walk around with no pants, which that's I, right. I, I don't think necessarily it's a great claim to fame. Um, you anyway, think that's a foul idea. <laughs> oh, oh, the dad jokes have begun. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, okay. You know, okay. So it's, it's universal studios. This is the studio that, you know, again, as that turned down star Wars, turned down Raiders. So the very next time that George, you know, uh, you know, comes to them with an idea for a movie, uh, they say yes. And he says, well, do you want to hear that? And I said, no, no, we just, we want to make a movie with you, whatever it is. Uh, and, but here's the thing. George initially looked at Howard the Duck and thought, oh, we should do an animated movie. And, um, and the interesting thing, George had done one animated film prior to this. Um, have you ever seen Twice Upon a Time from 1983? No. I have. Oh, you have to chase this down. We we have to talk about this at this point. It's this this wonderfully funny animated film by John Cordy, uh, and it has one of my favorite animated characters of all time, Ralph the All Purpose Animal. Um, we have to chase this down for you. Warner's <laughs> uh, in its archives collection made this available back in 2015. So let me chase you down our copy, Dan. We'll, you got to watch this. So, all right. Um, but anyway, uh, William Huck and Gloria Katz, who helped George write the script for American Graffiti, uh, also produced by and released by Universal, they write the script for this. And early on, um, George decides the perfect guy to direct this movie is John Landis. Um, you know, and you know, but again, this is at the point that Universal is like. I know you want to make this as an animated movie, but we really need to film out for the summer of 1986. Uh, and animation is going to take too long. So can you do this as kind of a, a live action movie with, you know, say an animatronic duck and, you know, and this is coming after John Landis had done American werewolf in Paris. So this is a guy who clearly knew how to do, you know, work with effects, clearly knew how to work with animatronics on camera. Uh, and you know, so George is like, well, you know, John would be the perfect guy to make this movie. And, and Landis turns him down. And I've, I've got a quote here where Lucas later said, 
the greatest regret in my career is that John Landis was unable to direct Howard the Duck. I feel the movie would have been more, far more successful and saved me the years of hardship following its release. So, which, which kind of blows my mind. Um, that is, you know, but I can see that. I mean, he was such um he's sort of a hot director during that time period. Anyway, he had a certain kind of a sensibility, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but so anyway, William Huck, be, when Landis turns the uh, uh, the directing down, he he gets the the job almost by default. And now you know now George is like okay, so we have this opening scene that's set on Duck World, uh, which is you know uh, you know looks just like our world, but again filled with lots of dad joke duck ponds. Um, and George then realizes that wow, I'm going to need a lot of people in duck costumes to sell the idea of you know, a world that's populated by ducks. But the interesting thing is, remember, and we talked about this in a recent, um, uh, you know, uh, looking at Lucasfilm, that uh, he had just made in 1984 and 1985 those two Ewok uh, movies, The Caravan of Courage and The Battle of Endor. Right, which we and, talked about in a, in a recent show. Yeah, and what George wound up doing is literally reaching out to, you know, these folks who were had just climbed out of uh, their Ewok costumes after they completed production of, you know, uh, Battle of Endor. And they're like, not so fast. We have some duck outfits for you to put on. Uh, and, you know, they, because again, they, they shot uh, Battle of Endor in the summer of 1985. And by November of 1985, here they are shooting Howard the Duck. Um, anyway, uh but here's the thing. George knows because of how much these costumes are going to cost and, you know, the how much it's going to cost Phil Tippett to do his go motion. This is going to be a very expensive film to make. Uh, in fact, uh, depending on who you talk to, $36 million, which was actually, you know, dep- again, again, depending on how who you talk to, it's actually more than George spent on uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> so, so it wasn't all as quacked up to be. Oh, oh, that's two. That's two. Yes, all right. I'm okay. not even done. We're keeping score here, folks. Um, so anyway, in the script that, that uh, William and Gloria originally wrote, uh, when Howard traveled from Duck World to Earth, he landed in Hawaii. And, you know, the whole notion of, well, you know, it'll be colorful. It'll be a different background. And George is like, that'll be expensive. It's like, no, we're going to shoot the stateside, and which in this case, you know, looking for more affordable turf meant shooting in Pentaluma, California. Um, now, you mentioned uh, Leah Thompson, the, the, the girl from Back to the Future who played uh, Marty McFly's mom. Um, the, the execs at Universal uh, really pushed for her to be uh, the female lead in Howard the Duck because the thinking was given that she'd done such a good job with the scenes where Lorraine is a teenage girl and has the hots for her son, Marty, that when it came to uncomfortable romantic, you know, relationship scenes that, you know, Leah Thompson, you know, would, would be the perfect person to, you know, that, that be the earthling who fell in love with the duck from outer space. Um, let's see. Uh, as for how they actually did Howard, in the film, uh, initially it was a child in a suit 
uh, kind of a throwback to, uh, you know, what was done with E.T., uh, but in the same situation as, as E.T., that uh, when it, it, it just became too hard for the, the child performer to do the stuff that was necessary in the suit, uh, they brought in a little person, Ed, Ed Gale, who uh, probably best known to horror fans. He was the, the guy who would be in the Chucky suit in the Child's oh. Play movies. Oh, and wasn't he from North Dakota, too? Duck Dakota? I want to say yes. Um, really? <laughs> you didn't get the Duck Dakota pun? <laughs> oh. uh, um, by the way, Child's Play uh, just rebooted this year, and so who does the voice for Chucky this time around? But Mark Hamill. Um, That's and, right. And while we're talking about voices, uh, he totally fit the bill for that too. Okay, I think I'm done now. Oh, oh, you're hurting me. Okay, uh, when it came to uh, the voice of Howard the Duck. Um, they, they auditioned Martin Short. They auditioned John Cusack. Uh, evidently, Robin Williams was in the mix. And, and what was kind of interesting is that because the suit, this was a $2 million animatronic suit, uh, you know, they, the, the decision was made uh, after the first couple of days of shooting uh, when they couldn't really hear the, you know, the poor performer inside the suit. It's like, oh, we're going to have to do all this in post. We're going to have to loop all of the dialogue. Um, so yeah. And the thinking was, you know, especially when they were looking at the footage, they're going to need to do something to make this movie funnier than it actually is. And so for a time, I guess they were talking with Robin Williams and oh, wow. I, guess, I guess Robin wanted money. I, I think that's, you know, makes sense. Yeah. What it came down oh, to. I just did it. I didn't even mean to do that. It makes sense. <laughs> wow. I need to migrate out of here. <laughs> We are so close to the end here at this point, folks. I, I think I it's fair to say that the my duck puns have been funnier than the actual movie. I, well, you know, it's so funny you say that because there, there's a famous story about the first test screening of Universal, and it's a disaster. And you know, so the executives come outside. Uh, Tom Pro- Pro- Price, who's the head of Universal Studios at the time, and his second in command, Sid Sheinberg. And they seem to have a shouting match in front of the theater as to who actually greenlit this movie, whose fault this is. And they, they, they eventually they end up having this fist fight because neither of them want to take the blame for it. Um, wow. Anyway, yeah. Um, okay. Long story short, movie comes out, uh, you know, that year it's reviled. Uh, you know, again, cost $36 million to make, only make $16 million. Uh, so it's it's a box office disaster. Uh, it manages to take home seven Razzies that year. In fact, uh, Tim Robbins uh, won the award for Worst Supporting Actor. This was one of the very first films that Ooh. Tim Robbins made when he arrived in Hollywood. And to this day, he loves Howard the Duck. Really? But, uh, Even though but- I laid an egg? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. See how lucky my students are. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, but anyway, uh, what ends up happening is uh, the film, because of the technical issues, goes so far over schedule that Tom ends up getting paid twice what he originally was contracted to be paid to do this film. So you know, it's just like you know that that's the you know that's the film that paid his way into Hollywood and gave him a cushion to actually go out and get decent acting jobs. 
Um, George, on the other hand, you know, is when Howard came out, immediately pivoted to Willow. You know, he put Howard the Duck in the, his rearview mirror so quickly, uh, you know, that, that your head would spin. And and the interesting thing is that Howard had been shot deliberately with an open-ended ending with the hope that they'd be able to do a sequel in three years. Uh, and uh, and the weird thing is Howard did eventually make it back into um, uh, the movies. In fact, if you remember his cameo appearance uh, at the, the very end of 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy, and he turns up, you know, blink and you'll miss it uh, moment in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And... Isn't he right, an endgame at the end for like a split second when all the heroes are there? I I have heard that, but it, the problem is I, I have yet to see... Um, uh, you know, an image capture of it. So it can be, somebody has it, please send it along. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, the rumor is that Disney and Marvel have something else involving Howard the Duck in the works right now. Um, and <laughs> I'm not really in a position to be able to talk about this because a, a friend shared some info about it. But anyway, oof, okay. I am looking at the clock at my end. It is almost 10.30 p.m. East Coast time, which is almost my bedtime. So I, I get to do a pun now. I, Dan and I have to get the duck out of here. So um, <laughs> A good way to end it. Okay. So, but but tell you what, Dan, if uh, <laughs> until we're back with even worse jokes, uh, where can folks find you elsewhere on the web? Sure, you can find me each and every week on Coffee with Kenobi. This week we had probably one of the biggest shows we've ever done in six years. We had, as guests, are you ready for this? John Favreau, mm-hmm. Dave Filoni, Pedro Pascal, uh, Gina Carano, and Carl Weathers. Um, because oh. they invited me to the Disney Plus event mm-hmm. for The Mandalorian, and I had that all set up, and then something happened, I wasn't able to go. So I sent my brother-in-law instead, and he got to be a part of a roundtable a very small round table with some um, Star Wars fan sites and podcasts mm-hmm. and coffee with Kenobi was fortunate enough to be one of them. So yes, the audio you're hearing was, uh, was a part of that. And my goodness, I am very proud of that one. And next week I can't say who the guest is, mm-hmm. but it is one of the biggest names in Star Wars history. So lots of great stuff coming from coffee with Kenobi. And if you really like the show, we have our Patreon page as well. Oh, look, uh, that sounds like some campness stuff right there, Dan. Um, meanwhile, over at Jim Hill Media, we got uh, Disney Dish with Lon Testa. Uh, we have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, who somewhere loose in the eastern half of the United States. I'm, I'm just warning you folks. He's, he's out there. Be careful. With his Howard uh, the Duck t-shirt, undoubtedly. <laughs> Probably. Uh, let's see. We also have uh, Universe Joint with Dustin Fuse. We, of course, have the Marvelous Disney podcast uh, that I do with Aaron Adams. And Michelle Valladolid has just yesterday got back from Walt Disney World where she is here, Lord, assembled a report on a huge report on all sorts of Disney merch, which we will be talking about soon. So uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do myself and Dan a huge favor, uh, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only the podcast you're listening to today, looking at Lucasfilm, but also Coffee with Kenobi, uh, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, Likewise, if you really, really, really like what the two of us do here, 
Uh, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that helps keep us in Funko Pop figures. And I'm looking at my bow. Is that Dio? Bo? What is the the Dio? Dio. Okay. Uh, I still think he looks like Snoopy. So oh, I can um, I can see that. Yes. Okay, so, but again, I saw that trailer, and I still don't know what that character does either, so, all right, well, well, maybe we'll be able to explain that more, better at the, during the next Lucas, Looking at Lucasfilm, folks, so, uh, until then, thanks for listening, and Dan and I will be back soon.